You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Wolf Trap cancels summer performances. Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia add 91 virus-related deaths. Are you going to the shore this weekend? Are you going to the shore? We've got Catherine Schraver from the Washington Post. She's the Post transportation reporter. She's going to tell us all about how thousands from coronavirus hotspots have flocked to Maryland and Virginia as parts of the states reopened. All of this cultural dynamic, literally the water cooler conversation of this holiday weekend. As the U.S. cases increase 1.8%, President Trump pushing to open places of worship. Lots to get through. Did you hear what former Vice President Joe Biden said on the radio today? Wendy Benjaminson going to navigate through that for us bloomberg's politics editor uh we're also gonna uh, be on veep stakes and then we're gonna check in i'm very excited for this with congressman max rose a democrat from new york to talk all things covid in new york and reopening but he also has a youth sports effort in congress he's trying to gather a bipartisan group of lawmakers to make sure that youth sports programs all over the country are able to navigate through the reopening and post-pandemic phase. And then Bethany Rubin Henderson, who is the CEO of my good friends at DC Scores and the president of the America Scores Network, uh, is going to talk about how youth soccer programs and literacy programs in our region are being impacted by this. So lots to get through. Awesome Friday show. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And uh, just a special programming note, you can check out our special report on America's employment crisis tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Television. We spent a lot of hard work on it, and we have exclusive interviews with Labor Secretary Scalia, uh, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, uh, who else? Do we, we've got uh, uh, some of the nation's top CEOs. Uh, ben Shillybowl, Virginia Ali, co-founder. We actually went to Ben Shillybowl and, and talked with her about how, uh, the, how sh- her business is being impacted by uh, all of this. And we checked in with Susan London McKinsey because really, folks, when we come out of this, the economy might look a lot different uh, than when we went in. So if you're interested, it'll be on Bloomberg Television at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. Uh, It'll also be available across Bloomberg platform and streaming services on Bloomberg and on YouTube. 
Uh, so check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay, holiday weekend, lots to get through. I want to start inside of the nation's capital because Catherine Shaver's on the line, Washington Post's transportation reporter, and she has this great story out uh, in the Post uh, headline, thousands from coronavirus hotspots flocked to Maryland and Virginia as parts of the states reopen. Okay, Catherine, thanks so much for being here. This is the, the hottest topic of the weekend. Should you leave the city or not? What, do you, what, what can you report back to us? Well, the public health experts would tell you if you're still living in an area that's under a um, stay-at-home order, if your local businesses aren't open, they want you to stay put. They do not want you to travel. Um, the big concern is that a lot of these vacation destinations are in rural areas um, where you know, their rate of transmission might be pretty low right now. But if a bunch of us who live in places like D.C. and the close-in suburbs, if we start heading out to the beaches, we can bring the virus with us. And then in the next week or two, they start seeing their cases go up. You know, I think this is fascinating because my understanding, and I grew up outside of Philly and a lot of folks up there go to the Jersey Shore. The boardwalks are open, but the businesses are still only able to do curbside. And it gets to this common sense question of, okay, if there's going to be all these crowds at the beaches and they're doing curbside, aren't there still going to be crowds? I mean, you know, you go up to 14th Street in D.C. and you kind of see some of these crowds. So what did you hear from your reporting, Catherine, when you talked to the businesses at some of these hot spots for the holiday weekend? Well, I think, you know, what we saw last weekend in places like Ocean City, Maryland, where um, you're right, there were throngs of people on these boardwalks, and it didn't matter that they couldn't sit down in the restaurants. They were lined up on the boardwalk, you know, sometimes a couple feet apart, sometimes six feet apart, sometimes wearing masks, sometimes not, um, just to get some French fries. and. <laughs> One of the researchers I talked to said, we're just sick of eating French fries at home. We're, uh, we just want to get outside, and we don't want to get outside in our neighborhood anymore. We want to get outside, get a change of scenery, and it probably doesn't even matter that we can't really sit on a beach and en enjoy a book. Maybe we have to keep walking, or maybe we have to, um, uh, we're not allowed to sit down on a boardwalk bench, but we just want to get out and about and, and get out of our homes. You know, you also interviewed the Ocean City Mayor, Rick Meehan. What did he have to say? He said, um, you know, he said, we have never encouraged people to violate stay-at-home orders in their local jurisdictions. Um, you know, of course, they have just reopened their hotels, and they, you know, they really count on the tourist business, especially, uh, you know, on Memorial Day weekend and the summer. But he is really worried about people bringing coronavirus with them, and then he would probably have a bigger problem. So he's saying if you have a stay-at-home order in your jurisdiction, please stay home for now and don't violate it. It really is just remarkable when you think of just how every single industry has been just so devastated by this, from Washington, D.C., and uh, and and the— uh, uh, from the Cherry Blossom Festival tourism to graduations. And, you know, you mentioned hotels down there at, uh, at, at, at the shore. What are hotels doing? I mean, are they, are they taking extra precautions or how are they doing it? You know, I don't know for certain. I know they are reopened um, in Ocean City, but uh, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly what precautions they're taking. And as we move forward, no worries. That's how that's that's how you know you're talking to a legit reporter is when they say what they don't know. That's amazing. <laughs> um, Catherine Shaver of the Washington Post. She's got this great story. She's the transportation reporter uh, for the uh, Washington Post, and she's got this great story as we head into this holiday weekend. As businesses, uh, hotels, local municipalities are all grappling with 
how to handle this as parts of the states are beginning to reopen. Has there been any talk of, of how much travel might be down or, or is it expected to be on par with previous weekends? I think what is worrying public health experts a bit is that they started seeing this increase in travel way back, you know, several weeks ago in mid-April. So it's not like they're even bracing for a jump in travel this weekend. It's already been happening. In fact, they estimate that 60% of the increase in travel that they're seeing every weekend is just a continuation of this quarantine fatigue that we've all heard so much about as people are just tired of staying home. They think only about 40% of it is um, connected to businesses themselves reopening. But I think they are worried that they have seen this overall trend of people traveling more. And, you know, of course, Memorial Day weekend, people start thinking beach and getting out of town. So I think they are uh, expecting more travel and probably am pretty worried about it. You know, it really is remarkable um, and, and, and fascinating, especially when we hear so much about the nursing homes and, of course, children as well and how everything's being impacted. And there's just so many cultural things right down to letting kids play together and whatnot. Coming up on the program, we're going to talk with some uh, leading experts in our community, uh, Washington, D.C., about how youth sports programs are being impacted by this. Catherine Shaver, happy Memorial Day weekend, my friend, and thank you so much for coming on and talking about your reporting in the Washington Post. Coronavirus, thousands from coronavirus hotspots flock to Maryland and Virginia as parts of the states reopen. Coming up, Talking much more about the 2020 election, Wendy Benjaminson, Bloomberg Politics Editor, she returns to the program. It's always interesting when Wendy brings the news. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And again, another plug, tonight, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, a special deep dive report into America's employment crisis. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, Lots to get through. Did you hear former Vice President Joe Biden on The Breakfast Club radio program. Wendy Benjaminson sure did. She is Bloomberg's politics editor. Wendy, my friend, it's good to talk with you. I miss you, Wendy. I miss you too. It's so great to be back on the show. Uh, You know, I really got to say, I miss our Friday confabs in the office. I miss, you know, just getting in trouble with you or you keeping me out of trouble. (laughs) You know, I miss it, Wendy. I miss it. I'm ready to go back. I am too. You know, and I think I, I think I'm going a little stir crazy. All right. So former Vice President Joe Biden, I'm going to let you set the stage. What happened with him on The Breakfast Club? Well, it could be that he's going a little stir crazy, too, because on The <laughs> Breakfast Club, he was trying to be clever. And when the host named Charlemagne the God um, is talking to him about, you know, attracting black voters and doing things for black Americans who are suffering you know, made much higher rates than than others during this pandemic and economic crisis. Biden says, if you are still undecided about choosing me or Donald Trump, then you ain't black. And that brought up the whole notion of 
certain demographic groups need to be loyal to certain parties just because of their race or religion. Trump has done this with Jews a lot. He says, if you're loyal to Israel, then you must vote for me. But when Joe Biden does it, it, it he shouldn't do things like that, right? So it took him several hours, but he went to the U.S. Black Chamber um, and had a call with them and apologized. Said it was cavalier and he shouldn't have said it and he didn't mean it. And, you know, presumably by Tuesday, no one will remember it happened. But it sure made for an interesting day. It sure made for an interesting day, to say the least. He also made some comments about who he's going to pick for his vice presidential pick. What do we know? Well, I think Tammy Baldwin, who's a senator from Wisconsin who's rumored to be on the list, she said something today uh, to one of our reporters, Gregory Cordy, like, um, if you know you're not talking and if you don't know you are talking, which was a really sort of Midwestern, plain-speaking sort of way of saying— Midwestern, nice— what? That's a Midwestern nice comment, you know, where they're it's like Midwestern sticking it to you. Midwestern nice, exactly. Yeah. But it's, it's to say that anyone who actually knows what's going on isn't speaking about it, and everyone who's flapping their gums probably doesn't know what they're talking about. But Biden is starting, not Joe Biden himself, but his vice presidential selection team are starting to ask people to do, you know, for interviews, asking them for references. It's just like any other job search. So um, we understand that Michelle Lujan Grisham has been asked for references. Um, and other, these are the candidates that are not that well-known nationally. Um, you know, he's not asking Elizabeth Warren for references or Kamala Harris, um, you know, U.S. senators that are super well-known. But the lower-run ones, he's starting the process. And we know it's going to be a woman. We think it's going to be a woman of color. And that's about as much as we actually know at this point, except about 20 names of people who it could be. Okay, so this is where I, I want to be careful here. But but how are they going to roll this out? Because I still feel just based on, you know, the barometer of, of us non-political junkies, of which I'm friends with many, and <laughs> they're really focused, rightfully so, on many things in their own lives of having to navigate through a very difficult time. And I don't think they're glued to the pulse of politics, even even if they are involved, even if they if they if they keep up with the news. A lot of people have tuned out the news in recent weeks. And I'm, I'm just curious for how if, if Biden world is really breaking through and at what point will people turn back? Do you get what I'm trying to get at? I do. I do. And for the people who are too busy worrying about a pandemic and a recession to pay attention to who Joe Biden is going to pick for his vice president, um, the public politics won't be there for you. Um, <laughs> we are watching every development on this. But um, I think he was rolling out. You know, normally, they roll it out right before the convention. And so there's this build-up going to be going to be and then, you know, the person is introduced at the convention to balloons and cheers and bands and all that good stuff. Um, and I don't know how that is going to happen this year, Kevin. That's a really good point. Because the Democrats are making noises that they might not even have a convention or that they might do it virtually. They're talking about it being a big TV show anyway, so why not just make it a TV show right. and not have 5,000 people gather in the company that shoulder to shoulder, breathing on each other for four days. 
and these sort of four to five day back and out conventions Right. Um, the Republicans seem to be going full steam ahead. Wendy, but, Wendy, Wendy, yeah. my friend, you're saying such good stuff, but unfortunately your connection is a little spotty. So I want to reset. If there's a way, stay on the line with me. And if there's a way that you can move to a spot where we can get a better connection, because you're making so many great points. And just to reset here, Wendy Benjaminson's on the line, and she is Bloomberg's politics editor. And we're talking about this conundrum that the Biden campaign finds itself in, which is essentially how do you get excitement? How do you roll out the vice presidential pick and have all the pomp and circumstances of the balloons and the display? I'll never forget being on the floor of the Republican convention back at the in, in 2016 and all the balloons are coming down. It's like raining red, white and blue. And and I'm thinking to myself, if Biden holds a virtual, virtual convention, how is that going to happen? Wendy, t- talk to me. I'm hoping I'm hoping that your phone is, is in a better spot. Is that better? So much better. I can hear you now, Wendy. <laughs> okay, I won't move a muscle. Thank you. How will, the, how will the convention work? That's what you're asking? Yes. They don't think they know yet, but they're thinking of all these different ways. Luke Smith, who is a very smart Democratic strategist who ran through the judges' campaign, she said something the other day like, you know, there were so many possibilities in the 21st century for a convention. They could blast Biden's face or project it onto the wall of the Grand Canyon. You know? They could have him give a speech in a venue that looks like a convention, but there aren't 5,000 people there. There are many ways that they can do this. They are already moving to have the delegates vote virtually if they want to, and I think a lot of them probably will. Delegates tend to be retirees and people who right. are a little older, so um, they may not want to be that that way. Awesome. Wendy Benjaminson, thank you so much. It's so great to talk with you, my friend. Congratulations on all the incredible coverage that you and your team are continuing to push through. Um, and, and truly, truly, I'm very grateful that, that for you to call in today. Uh, coming up, we talk with Congressman Max Rose. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I want to welcome back to the program Congressman Max Rose, a Democrat from New York. Congressman, welcome back, and congratulations on your newborn son. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I, uh, my wife and I adopted a child uh, two, mo- two and a half months ago. His name is Miles Benjamin Rose, um, and every day is truly joyful. Truly, although I, although my friend, I'm still trying to figure out these reusable diapers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievable, you know. There's 19,000 buttons. 
<laughs> I, <laughs> at 1 a.m., you know, it's dark. I'm, I'm, I'm still picking up the disposables. I'm still <laughs> you know, up good luck this weekend. I feel like you're going to have a lot of time uh, to, to figure out those re- I, I, reusable diapers. Wow. We've come a long way in 2020. No, it's no joke. It's no joke. <laughs> but I said, look, I support it. I'm an environmentalist, but I really urge the uh, whoever's making these products to please make them simpler. <laughs> simple, I'm a simple elected official. <laughs> I love it. All right. Never a dull moment. All right. We got a lot to get through. Is Brooklyn ready to be reopened? But we, we have got to stop looking at this as a red light, green light situation. Okay. I'll tell you what Brooklyn is ready for. Brooklyn is ready for common sense. Yeah. And if I am an owner of a shoe store and I have seen people able to walk in and out of a liquor store for two months, go to a Target and a supermarket where there's hundreds, if not sometimes maybe thousands of people, a Home Depot, then you're damn right he deserves to be pissed. She deserves to be upset. You know, you make sense to me, Congressman, because that's what I don't understand is how come that we can all gather on 14th Street in D.C. and, and stand in line to get takeout, but I can't sit outside? That, that doesn't make it, sense it, to me. Look, there, at one point, or this, is, this, this situation is unprecedented. It has been replete with moments where we've had to make really tough decisions, and I'm not here to... I'm a, you know, Monday morning quarterback. But right now, where we're at, okay, is let's give our small businesses guidelines. Let's get them PPE. Let's extend the these payroll protection program timelines so that they can adequately use this money. Let's let them use more money for their mortgages and their rents and this and that. But <laughs> let, we we got to let them start to open because these businesses are dying, and this is people's life's work. And we have got to take public health into consideration. That's always got to be our priority, okay? I'm not an animal, but I, I don't want people to commit economic suicide either. You know, it, 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 you know I, I, when I talk to lawmakers, and I get to do it every single day, it's really frustrating when you talk to someone and you feel like they're not answering your question. Congressman Rose is not one of those people. Yeah, no, Rose well, well, most of them are full of it. And but I a, thank you for the compliment. He's a Democrat from, and you don't have to agree with him. You don't have to disagree with him, whatever. But he's going to say it like it is. Democrat from New York. Uh, I wanted, you know, you also served obviously in the military, and you are still serving in the Army Reserves. And uh, I want to ask you about how this you think is going to change the dynamic geopolitically, Congressman, with China. So it, it's clear that China lied significantly. Um, and no one, no one's going to peg me as weak on China. I led the only bill last Congress that put sanctions on China, put sanctions on Chinese pharmaceutical companies that were uh, pushing illicit fentanyl onto our shores and killing our kids. Um, and so there, there, there's obviously things that we have got to do in response to this new geopolitical reality. First and foremost, we have to bring much more of the production of these critical supplies, pharmaceutical. PPE, uh, laboratory equipment, we've got to bring that back to the United States. This is a matter of national security. Um, and we certainly have to, we can never, when it comes to matters of national security and public health, take China at its word. But with all these things being said, none of this can be an excuse for increased xenophobia towards Chinese um, and Asian Americans who are 
just as American as you or I or anyone else, my friend, and are deserving of an opportunity to pursue the American dream. And we cannot use this as an opportunity to not now do the right thing. We don't have enough PPE. We don't have enough swabs. A swab is a glorified Q-tip. Here in the greatest country in the history of the world, we don't have enough swabs. Are you kidding me? So we got to focus on China. We have to do certainly a full analysis of what went wrong, but that's no excuse for us not getting the job done here at home as well. We can chew gum and walk at the same time. And now, but I mean, in the last couple of days, and, and I want to get your take on this in terms of whether or not you think with China especially this could be a bipartisan issue, because as you have Xi Jinping, you know, with these, these quote-unquote national security laws coming out of Beijing with Hong Kong, and you've got people like Senator Chris Van Hollen, a Democrat from Maryland, introducing legislation with Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania in the Senate, to rein in and sanction some financial institutions as well as some individuals should Beijing go through with this against Hong Kong. How important is it that the U.S. support Hong Kong? Well, it, it's absolutely vital that the United States not only support Hong Kong, but support its allies and support its values. You know, America, for all its uh, blemishes and uh, ways in which it can improve, America ha has been the, the first nation in the history of the world at a moment of incredible power with, you know, out another peer to seek to not advance just its self-interest, but to seek to advance a value system, to seek to advance human rights. That's important. Okay, and that's not something that we should give up in the 21st century. Uh, it is clear that China is seeking to advance another system, uh, one in which uh, democracy is not of importance, one in which human rights are not of importance. And look, I don't believe that that should be the future of this world. And so long as we have an opportunity for it not to be, we should seize it. All right. And you've got, switching gears now, uh, you've got this new bill out in Congress, uh, Congressman Max Rose, Democrat from New York, uh, about youth sports. I want you to tell us exactly what it is, because I've, I've actually been really, I think a lot of folks are concerned about how kids are going to be negatively impacted by missing all of these playtime seasons. Yeah. I mean, we all grew up playing sports. I mean, to not be able to do that is just, it's, it's hard to comprehend. You know, and this is a problem sometimes with Democrats, that they look at something like youth sports and they say, oh, I don't concern myself with that. I do high-level thinking. Well, I, look, I grew up in New York, man, and, and Little League, soccer, basketball, although I quickly stopped playing basketball because I'm too, <laughs> too short. Vertically um, challenged is how I know, was described they, it for yeah, me. Yeah, vertically, vertically challenged. Look, I these, am too. These were... These, these were Pillars of my childhood, pillars of the community, some of my fondest memories with friends and my, my parents, and then where I learned lessons that uh, are still of great importance and value to me today. So it, it is, this is not theoretical, it's not small. Uh, most of our youth sports, in fact, all of our youth sports have been canceled for the springtime. Many of them will not be able to occur in the summertime, most likely, although um, I certainly think if that's possible, um, it should. Uh, and it, so many families have already paid their dues, though. They've paid them to the Little Leagues, and they've paid them. To, it's not just about sports. It's also about other activities, ballet, theater, whatever else it might be. And it, many of those organizations have fixed costs. They've got to spend money on lights and personnel and all types of things. They can't 
give 100% of the money back. And so it is my opinion, and we are uh, have put this into legislation, that these dues should uh, equate to tax credits. Um, and that there should also be a fund authorized to bail out many of these youth sports and youth activities, many of these organizations, because, look, this is a drop in the bucket. We're giving these businesses billions of dollars, and I, I support that, too, because we've got to bail out our workers and we've got to save this economy, but let's save our youth sports, too. You know, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right, Congressman Max Rose, Democrat from New York, I very much appreciate you taking some time off from daddyhood to check in with us on a Friday. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for your service to our country, and thank you for checking in uh, with Bloomberg Radio. Appreciate that, sir. Hey, man. Much appreciated. Thank you. All right, coming up on the program, we're going to stick with this discussion of youth sports with uh, my friends at DC Scores and America Scores Network, which they're going to give us an update on how things are, what they've been doing. Meanwhile, you can check out my special report on Bloomberg Television tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, into America's Employment Crisis. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern and will be wherever you can stream Bloomberg as well uh, after it airs. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm not leaving the city this weekend, folks. I'm, I, you know, I'm staying put. I'm staying put. You know, we've got a couple more days until we go into the until we go into the phase one or whatever they're calling it and stuff reopens. But um, yeah, you know. Congressman Max Rose was on just a little bit ago, and he was telling us about this new piece of legislation that he's introduced uh, that would allow for tax write-offs for youth sports. And I've got to be really candid here. I am so excited to have my friends at DC Scores uh, uh, come on this program because I, I will be I will be very very uh, honest. I'm a huge fan of them. I love them. I've seen up close the work that they do. So I'm biased, and that I think that they do a great job for the kids in our community just uh, for both soccer programming and uh, for literacy programs here in the nation's capital. Bethany Rubin Henderson's on the line. She is the chief executive officer of DC Scores and president of the America Scores Network. All right, Bethany, first of all, thank you, my friend, for coming on. Tell us what America Scores and DC Scores does, and then we'll dive into how, what, how you guys are adjusting. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. So glad to be here and get to spend this time with you. America Scores and DC Scores are sports-based youth development organizations. What that means is that we work with low-income inner-city children around the country, in fact, Canada as well, and provide free after-school programming and summer camps centered around soccer teams. But every kid on our soccer teams also writes and performs original poetry with their soccer team and designs and carries out service projects with their team. So it's a very mind-body-soul experience. And it's been around for like 30-some years, right? Yeah, we're actually celebrating our 25th anniversary this wow. year. We had a few events planned, but uh, we're having to postpone them a little bit thanks to the coronavirus. All right, so tell me, first of all, just how the how you guys have adjusted course uh, throughout, the, uh, the, throughout the pandemic. Absolutely. So our mission remains the same, to keep kids feeling safe, supported, connected, and hopeful, right? And how do we do that in an environment when we work with kids who live on the other side of the digital divide? kids who do not have a lot of access and kids who oftentimes are actually now because of social distancing, because of stay at home orders forcibly located in their less safe spaces, right? They come to school. They often come to us for a safe space. 
So what we are doing is flip to virtual programming. What that means is we're offering programming online, programming kids can pull down and do on their own or do with their coaches in interactive sessions. And our coaches are continuing to reach out to our poet athletes, as we call them, by phone, by text, reaching out and checking in, are you okay? Can we help you? We're making sure our kids and their families know what the safety rules and precautions are uh, and supporting them as they try to access food and other things as well. You know, this is so important because, I, I, I mean, you know, it, it's been really, really heartwarming to see how um, a lot of youth sports programs have utilized tools like Zoom to have, you know, after-school soccer programming for their kids and whatnot. But it, it, America scores and DC scores there. They provide free after they're a nonprofit. They provide free after-school programming for these poet athletes. And many of these kids are not, they don't have the technology resources available. Can you tell, talk to me, Bethany, about some of the technological challenges that, that these students face? Absolutely. So what we're hearing from our families and our coaches is that in many homes, we work with little kids, I should say. We work primarily with kindergarten through eighth graders. Yep. So in many of these homes, three or four kids might be vying to share mom's phone to try and access their schoolwork. I want to interrupt you. Think about that. Visa. Think about that. Because think about that. For our audience in particular, think about that. Three or four kids in one home are vying for their mother's cell phone so they can kick a ball around either indoors or outdoors. Go ahead. Absolutely. And so they can connect with their school, right? So yep. they can pull their schoolwork off. Um, in a lot of our homes, uh, a lot of our families' Internet access is not consistent, right? Sometimes our middle schoolers especially, they might have devices, but they're reliant on others' Wi-Fi. So in normal times, they can get Wi-Fi at school. They can get Wi-Fi, you know, at the corner store. But that doesn't happen, right? They can't go out to those communities. So they might have a device, but it may not be able to access anything because Wi-Fi is either consistent or too inconsistent or too expensive. And so we're really operating in a world where some of our kids do have digital access and to different degrees, and many do not. And how do we connect with all of them during this time when they need us, when they need their teams and their coaches, and knowing that there's a support group behind them more than ever? So how so how have you guys adopted? Uh, so how have you? What are some of the things that you've done to to address some of those problems? Absolutely. So I love how innovative our programs are. We operate in 12 different communities, and every community has its own idiosyncrasies. And so one community sent out postcards to every family. Here in D.C., we've had coaches calling uh, kids' families. Um, we said, look, you know, we pay our coaches. We treat our coaches as a, as a professional um, service corps, right? They are working hard. And we're paying our coaches to actually just reach out and call every kid on their team to check in with them, let them know about the resources we have online, we're delivering our soccer balls. So we told coaches, you know what? You have inventory that you were going to use this spring for our season. Give the soccer balls to the kids. We'll replace them for you later on. Get the equipment into the kids' hands so that they have what they need. And and I think this this is important. And folks, if you're if you're just joining us, Bethany Rubin Henderson's on the line, and she's the uh, the head of uh, America Scores and of DC Scores, which provides uh, a, a for poet athletes, and it's a literacy and soccer program. But you know, we, we talk about what your organ, your nonprofit's doing, Bethany, but just broaden it out. I mean, these are challenges across the country that nonprofits, that youth nonprofits are really, truly facing. And at a time when, you know, quite honestly, many of your donors are, are being affected economically, what are some of the economic challenges from a business standpoint that you now face from a business model uh, that that because of this pandemic? Absolutely. So DC Scores, America Scores, like many other youth-serving nonprofits around this country, rely on big fundraisers. 
to bring in money to support our kids, particularly those of us that offer programming for free. So it's accessible to all children. And a lot of our big fundraisers have been postponed indefinitely because of the pandemic, right? Events that bring people together, we can't hold those the same way. And virtual fundraisers are great, and we've had some, but they just don't bring in the volume of money. That's the short-term pain. The bigger problem that I see coming down the pike is that the belonging, which is really the core product of what we do, Right, giving kids, these kids who are still developing their mental resiliency skills, who have massive trauma in their lives uh, and need help processing it uh, and staying on track, they need to belong to a team. They need to belong to something, and creating belonging is our core product. There are going, the kids we already serve are in, experiencing more trauma now, right? It's trauma compounded. There are more kids who, once we come out of this, are not going to be able to access pay-to-play programs. They're going to need programs like ours to be able to access sports at all because of the economic impact on their families from the pandemic. And so we're looking down the pike, uh, our entire sector, at increased demand for what we do in the short term, increased cost for what we do in the short term, because reaching out to every kid in this virtual environment in a digital divide is very human intensive, and increased demand in the long term at the same time as the economy is shrinking philanthropic dollars uh, as we're looking down the pike worried about what will happen, you know, 12 months from now, those dollars will still be there. And government dollars that provide support for a lot of these programs uh, are also going to be shrinking because and tax dollars that's why are the legislation from Congressman Max Rose, Democrat from New York, is so interesting right now. All right, in 30 seconds, give me one hopeful message from one of your players, from one of your poet athletes that inspired you to take us into this holiday weekend. <sighs> I, I, I'm not sure I can boil it down to just one. Um, for me, the most hopeful thing is seeing the kids' faces, the fact that the kids show up, that they want to actually write, and that connecting with their team matters them, matters with them. And there's nothing better than seeing a, a young soccer player stand up and say, I like poetry even more than soccer because it makes me feel powerful. Bethany. And that's what we can do to kids. Bethany Henderson, thank you so much. Check it out, DC Scores, all caps, DC Scores. And if you've got time this weekend, Google Soccer in the City. It's a feature-length documentary film uh, on DC Scores and, and, and what it does, and it's, uh, it's a really good mindset to take us in. Check out our special report on Bloomberg Television tonight as well uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, into America's Employment Crisis. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Have a great, safe, enjoyable three-day weekend, Washington. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.